All right. You know, when I was a kid, I used to love, uh, well, I used to love cartoons, I guess, as all kids did. And one of my favorite car- uh, cartoons was, uh, was the peanut cartoons. They were not on like every Saturday or anything like that. They were always, uh, they were always specials. And uh, as a kid, I loved Charlie Brown. Uh, Snoopy, of course, was my favorite. I even had Charlie Brown sheets. I had a little Snoopy stuffed animal that um, one of my mom's friends got me when I was getting my tonsils out. And they actually uh, let me take Snoopy into the operating room with me. And I can remember as a kid, uh, Snoopy was laying there on the table and they gave me this mask to put on Snoopy's face. And, And that was fine and everything. Uh, But then when they tried to put the mask on my face, I kind of threw a fit. The last thing I remember is the doctor holding the mask down over my face as I fell asleep. And then, of course, my throat has never been the same since. They took those tonsils out. But I loved Charlie Brown. I loved the peanuts. Um, uh, And so uh, I did kind of a little bit of research. And in 1965, Charles M. Schultz, who was the creator of, of the peanuts he brought his peanut characters onto live action screen for the very first time of course as a kid i thought that was the only place you found them but before they were on television they were actually a very uh, very famous comic strip and many had been familiar with the likes of charlie brown linus lucy and snoopy from their very popular uh, comic strips that was uh, that was constantly in the newspapers Well, the Peanut Gang's uh, first of many television specials would actually be a Christmas special, the Charlie Brown Christmas. In the 1960s and early 70s, uh, when I was very young, brought a glut of animated and claymation Christmas specials to the small screen, including such classics as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, The Year Without a Santa Claus, etc., with his Peanuts gang, however, Charlie, uh, Charles M. Schultz wanted to do something different by having his main character, Charlie Brown, lament the commercialism of Christmas. Unlike the other popular Christmas specials of the day, Charles Schultz wanted his special to answer the question, what is Christmas really about? And he wanted to do it from a truthful and biblical perspective. You know, there was a common theme, reindeer, the uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Santa Claus is coming to town, and the year without a Santa Claus. There was a common theme in the late 60s and early 70s with those Christi- uh, Christmas animated specials. And so Charles M. Schultz, he wanted to break the mold, if you will, in the opening scene of his Christmas special, which the... Uh, 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 was reluctantly placed on television. In the opening scene, Charlie Brown confides in his pal Linus and says this. He says, "I, I think there must be something wrong with me. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed and throughout the special charlie brown is trying to discover what it is that makes christmas so special what is the true meaning of christmas well the culmination of it all and i'm not going to spoil the end for you because i know that you want to run home and watch it on your apple tv tonight but the culmination of it all 
is when Charlie Brown brings a skimpy little Christmas tree to the Christmas play practice. And of course, this is where we get the term, a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, which many of us have had. Remember when I, uh, when, uh, when I went away to college, I came back one year and my parents had let my youngest brother go down into the woods and cut our Christmas tree. That year we had a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. But Charlie Brown brings this Christmas tree to Christmas play practice and everyone laughs at him. As a matter of fact, one of the phrases used is one that would not be considered politically correct today when one of the girls says to Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, of all the dumb things that you've ever done, this is the dumbest. And so feeling more rejected than ever, Charlie Brown says, everything that I touch is a disaster. And then he asked this, he says, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Finally, his friend Linus says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. So Linus then walks to the middle of the stage where they're going to have the Christmas play eventually. He asks for the lights to be dimmed, and then he begins to recite Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And yes, this was actually on network television. He says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, and would you say this with me? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Linus then walks off the stage and walks to his friend, Charlie Brown. And he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You know, it truly is what Christmas is all about. The lights that are so beautifully displayed during Christmas season remind us that the light of the world is Jesus. John chapter 1 reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world. So, so how fitting it is that most of our decorations during Christmas have to do with lights. Also, the tree that we set up in our, uh, in our homes reminds us of Acts chapter 5, verse number 30, that the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. The gifts under the tree are great reminders that the greatest gift ever given was the gift that God provided for us, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Tonight, I'd just like to take a few minutes and have fun with an acrostic to remind us what Christmas is all about. No, it's not going to be the one that we sang about. That would be kind of cheating. We're going we're gonna to take the word Christmas, and we are going to make an acrostic here, and we're going to... Uh, 
use some things that remind us what Christmas is all about. And when I thought about C, I couldn't help but think about the Creator. You know, John chapter 1, verse number 3 says, All things were made by Him, talking about Jesus, that all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17 reminds us that by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know, it's something that most people, when they think of Jesus in the manger, they don't think of creator, but that's exactly what Jesus uh, was. It's exactly what Jesus is, which also tells us that he's God. We're going to look at that here in a second. But amazing th- it's an amazing thing that the Creator stuffed himself into the body of an infant. He allowed himself to be born of a virgin. He grew up among his creation, was mistreated by his creation. He died at the hands of while dying for his creation. It really is an amazing thing. Oftentimes when I look at Luke chapter 2 and the Bible records to us that one incident in Jesus' life when he's 12 years old and he goes to Jerusalem with his family and at 12 years old he enters into the temple. He begins to talk with the lawyers and the doctors and the Pharisees and he begins to ask them questions and answer their questions and the Bible says that they were all amazed but in the meantime Mary and Joseph and the family left to head back to Nazareth. And, of course, the Bible tells us that about three days later, Joseph and Mary come back and they find him in the temple. And then uh, uh, Mary pretty much uh, uh, chides him uh, for being lost. And he says, I wa- basically, I wasn't lost. I'm here uh, going about my father's business. But then the Bible tells us that he returned to, he returned to Nazareth with them and that he submitted himself to them. And you know, from the time that he was 12 to I don't know how long, I'm sure that Joseph continued to train him in the craft of, well, uh, of carpentry. And I think how ironic that must have been for Jesus, who created everything, to submit himself to Joseph and allow himself to be taught carpentry. I kind of have a feeling he was probably a pretty good carpenter considering the fact that he had created all things. It's an amazing thought. No wonder we read in Revelation chapter 4 verse number 11 about the four and 20 elders in having throwing their crowns at the feet of Jesus and declaring, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things. C reminds us of the fact that Jesus is the creator. But I also believe that it reminds us of the fact, or that H reminds us of the fact that he is the Holy One. He is the Holy One. The word holy used in the New Testament means sacred, physically pure, morally blameless. The only person who's ever lived that that can really describe is Jesus Christ. The perfect one who never committed a sin 
and not because his path was an easy one. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15 tells us that we have not an high priest who cannot be felt by the feeling of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. That scripture there tells us that God did not give his son an easy path, a path where he would never be tempted, a path where he'd never be tried, a path where he would never feel heartache, he would, he would never feel rejection. As a matter of fact, every, every tough emotion that you and I will ever go through, Jesus has gone through it. He's experienced it. He went through it. He's been there. And yet the Bible says he never once used it as an excuse. Like, by the way, every single one of us have. We've all used uh, hard hardships as an excuse for getting out of the will of God. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points. Every way that you and I could possibly be tempted and tried and tested he went through heartache after heartache after heartache. And yet the Bible says not one time did he sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Truly, he is the Holy One. And because of this, we can look to the life of Jesus and follow his example Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he left us an example that we should follow his steps because he did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Yes, H truly reminds us that Jesus is the Holy One. R reminds us of something that is also quite extraordinary. It reminds us of the resurrection. The resurrection. John reminds us that in him was life. If you read John chapter 1, and the life was the light of men, Jesus himself would declare, I am the resurrection. Remember in John chapter 11, just before he raised his friend Lazarus from the grave, as he was talking to Lazarus's sister, he said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asks Lazarus' sister this, Believest thou this? I ask you tonight, do you believe Jesus is the resurrection? Do you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that not only did, that he died on the cross, not only that he was born in a manger, and we celebrate that, but he lived and he died, was buried, and that he rose again. And then he ascended into heaven where he waits for the Father's command to come back for us. Man, I'm ready for that day. But even if we are to submit to death before the rapture, before Jesus comes back, we will be raised again because Jesus is the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection. Well, as we come to the next one, this is another one of those cardinal doctrines that we must believe in. I reminds us of the incarnation, the incarnation, which simply means to make a physical form or state. In other words, God um, became a physical form or state in Jesus. Jesus is the incarnation of God. One of the Christmas songs we sing every year says it best in its second stanza. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. The incarnate deity simply means God in the flesh. That's what it means. We hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. By the way, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. God was with us in the flesh, in the form of Jesus Christ. So hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Colossians 1.15 says that he's the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that's why we sing, veiled in flesh the Godhead. See, he is God incarnate. So the eye reminds us of the incarnation, the fact that God became flesh, as we read in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But that brings us to S. Many things that S could stand for, but I think it best represents the word substitution. Substitution. This morning, as I was reading, I think it was either this morning or yesterday morning, as I was reading my devotions, must have been this morning, I was reading my devotions there in the book of Luke in chapter 23. And one thing that struck me that had never struck me like this before, and I'm sure it's been covered before, was as the crowd was accusing Jesus and Pilate kept saying, but I find no fault in him. And then when Pilate found out from he, he was from Galilee, he sent him to Herod. That was, uh, that was uh, where he hailed from and, and that was what he looked over. And Herod could find no fault in him. And after uh, doing some things to him, sent him back. And, and Pilate again said, but I find no fault in him. And because it was the time of the Passover, according to tradition, they would let someone go who was in jail. And there was a man there who was reserved for a crucifixion. He was a murderer and he was insubordinate. And his name was Barabbas. And as Pilate was going to let Jesus go, they said, no, give us Barabbas we want Barabbas and I thought about this I thought Barabbas must have been shocked when they came to his jail cell he probably wasn't shocked that they came to his jail cell he probably he probably knew well now they're going to lead me down the Via de la Rosa 
and they are going to take me to Calvary, and they're going to crucify me. And there were two other malefactors there who also were going to be crucified. So he probably thought, well, it's time. And as they opened up that jail cell, took off his fetters, they told him, you're free to go. And Barabbas got to go wherever he went, home. And I often wonder if he stuck around to find out who his substitute was. You see, Jesus hung on a cross that belonged to Barabbas. He was his substitute. He had done nothing wrong. But you know, the thing is, is we could put any one of our names there because he hung on Steve House's cross. He hung on your cross. He hung on our cross. He is our substitute. In other words, he took our punishment so that we don't have to. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift was the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He died in our place. And because the wages of sin is death, Jesus, who loved the loved us, lived a sinless life, experienced that substitutionary death for all who believe in him. And as many as believed in him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, S, I think, reminds us of the fact that Jesus was born in a manger to be our substitute. Have you accepted Christ as your substitute? Have you trusted in him? Have you believed in him? Well, that brings us to the letter T. And T can only stand for one thing, and that's the truth. In John 14, verse number 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. While trying Jesus and before reluctantly sentencing him to death, Jesus made a statement to Pilate that causes us to realize Pilate's hopeless estate. As Pilate is trying him and asking him questions. He asks him if he's a king, and Jesus says this, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear the witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? You see, I think Pilate believed what many people today believe and what culture teaches us today, that truth is relevant. But that's not what truth is. It's either truth or it's untrue, which is a lie. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I know that there are those that will say, well, there are many avenues to heaven, many roads to heaven. But that would contradict what Jesus said, that truth is truth and anything else is not truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, I believe T best represents 
the fact that Christ is the truth. Well, that brings us to the letter M. M could stand for nothing else except the wonderful message that Jesus brought. The wonderful message that Jesus is. You know, when the angels announced his birth, and we just read it in the book of Luke, uh, and they announced his birth to those shepherds, they calmed their fears by saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That's probably the best description of gospel right there. The word gospel means good news. Good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. The message Jesus brought is available to all people. That whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever to all people. Boy, this was only the beginning. Because during his earthly ministry, Jesus went about preaching a message that would simply be called the gospel. Good tidings of great joy. In Matthew 4, 23, we read that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel. Good tidings of great joy. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel. Good tidings of great joy. Hey, if there's anything this world needs today, it's good news. Well, I've got some good news for you. Jesus, our substitutionary death, makes his salvation available to everybody. The letter A can only stand for one thing, and that is the fact that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, as a pastor, I get a lot of people with that, that have ideas. Pastor, I have a great idea. I think that we should do this. The problem with the idea is it requires someone to execute it. And of course, as a pastor, you can't execute every good idea. And so oftentimes you'll make this statement as a pastor. You'll say, that's a great idea. And, beginning, and being that you're the author of it, why don't you finish it? Ah, oh, I'm just bringing you the ideas. I can't do it. I can remember one time I had someone who was upset that we hadn't found property yet. And I said, listen, I, I've been looking and I've been looking and I've been looking. I'll tell you what, why don't you start looking? The person told me, that's not my job. People are filled with great ideas. Here's the thing about the salvation. This thing about the offering, the thing about the sacrifice. Jesus was not only the author of it. Hey, man needs a savior. Well, that's a great idea. Who's going to be that savior? Well, Jesus said, I'm the author. Therefore, I'm also going to be the finisher. And so he not only declared there needed to be a sacrifice, he became that sacrifice. And the Bible tells us that we need to lay aside Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only did we need a sacrifice, Jesus said, I will be that sacrifice. And as a result, Jesus is our Savior. 1 John 4.14 says, and this is Christmas, The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The reason for the season. The Creator lived a holy life. He taught. He performed miracles. He died, was buried, was resurrected. He was God incarnate. He died a substitutionary death, so you and I don't have to. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He brought a wonderful message to mankind, a message of light, a message of hope, a message of salvation, a message that he was the author of and the finisher of, the producer of it. He is the Savior of the world. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed with every head bowed. And with every eye closed, as we consider this tonight, I think there's no better time than the Christmas season to give yourself to Jesus. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? You know, the wages of sin is death, but God sent his son so that we don't have To pay for our sins. Jesus paid for them. By acknowledging.